And to kind of kick off the new year, we decided we're not doing a series to start today. Uh, there's really been a message that's been brewing, not only in my heart, but I know even from our prayer team and the head of our prayer ministry, the past few weeks, we've really felt this uh, you know, strong sense of something that Jesus wanted from us as a congregation. And so I couldn't hold it back anymore. I was like, oh, you know, I love Christmas, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, Lord, get me through these Christmas messages so that I can get to what I wanna get to. So I feel like delivered this morning that I can like preach, not to say that I didn't preach what I wanted to during Christmas, but I wanna preach this to you today because I believe, I believe in not only Bethel, I believe in you, each and every one of you, what the Lord is doing in your life. And I think that there's a certain form of change that needs to take place to start this new year the right way, God's way. Uh, but in order to do that, we need to learn the right way to do things. So I'd like to title the message this morning, Equally Yoked with Christ. And the reason that I wanna do that is because for the last few weeks, I've been hearing the, just that scripture verse resounding over and over again that Jesus keeps saying, come to me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've grown up within a Christian context, and many of us that are sitting here this morning have heard the term unequally yoked as Christians. So instead of equally yoked, we've heard unequally yoked. Those are the things that get said to you when you, for example, date a non-Christian. Those are the things that are said to you when you venture on to a business partnership with non-believers. Those are things that are said when you start hanging out with the wrong people. Then you get a church grandma or grandpa that might say to you, you're unequally yoked. And I say, I think that that's great and that's wonderful. But I wanna know what does it mean then to be equally yoked? And before we can understand what it means to be equally yoked in a relationship, in a business partnership, in a friendship, we first need to learn what it means to be equally yoked with Christ himself. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul speaks out the very words to the church of Corinth they were acting a little bad. They weren't just nervous in the service, they were sinful in the service. He says, do not be equally yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? So here, Paul speaks directly to the church and he tells them, you've gotta clean up your act You've got to learn what it means to go from being unequally yoked to a world and a society that has influenced you too much and too many times. For the young people that are sitting here, and even it, it even goes for people of my generation, we are allowing too many influences and influencers to creep into our life. The people on social media, whether it's TikTok videos, whether it's a Snapchat chat, whatever it might be, it is trying to invade your life, your thoughts, your world, to show you and tell you who you should be and what you should be. 
And in a world that has so much information that is telling us who we should be and what we should be, we have never in the history of humankind dealt with an identity conflict like we have in the day and age in which we live. Why do we have that? Because when we are not equally yoked with Christ, we are yoked with the thoughts, ideologies, and patterns of this world. And guess what they do? They bog you down, they weigh you down, they depress you, they oppress you, and sometimes, if you're not careful, they possess you. But thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the invitation that he gave as Jesus is ministering out in the region of Galilee. He's on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he retreats to the other side after feeding the 5,000. And the crowd that he had fed on the other side, they followed him. He went by boat, they went by land, and they followed. And as Jesus comes off the boat, and I mean he was off the boat, not as an immigrant, He sees the same crowd. It's not a different crowd. It's not a different group of people. And he looks at these people and he looks at his disciples and he says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why? Because this crowd was bogged down and heavy laden. They were like sheep without a shepherd. See, as a congregation, as Bethel, as your pastor, I don't want you wandering. I don't want you to be people without an identity. And you might hear me say things. Even one of the staff recently, they said, you know, sometimes, and I've had it happen to me as a pastor, people say, pastor, you set kind of like this standard, and it almost seems unattainable. Well, the standard I set is not the standard of the world. We set the standard of the word of God. We set the standard of scripture. We set the standard of a life of faith that is empowered and motivated by the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Guess what that means? You can jump higher, you can run faster, and you can break off every label, every stigma, every oppression, every possession, because if Jesus is the great shepherd, not one of his sheep is allowed to get lost. He loves each and every one of you. And Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, is the greatest appeal of Jesus for me personally. The words of this text, they, they radicalized my life in a good way when I was around 12 years old. I remember feeling bogged down, depressed, suicidal. I remember feeling like the pressures that were on me and around me were way too much. There were things in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my actions that I knew did not line up with the word of God. And guess what? I was not only sick of it, I was sick of myself. And I read the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is 
light. As a pastor throughout the decades, I have seen countless numbers of people walk into church with their burdens. I call it the backpack, the Sunday morning backpack. I see people come in with the backpack. I see them worship with the backpack. I see them listen to the sermon with the backpack. And sometimes I see them go home with the same backpack on. I'm sorry, I believe in a God of freedom. I believe in a God of victory. I believe in a God who invites us to come and lay down our burdens. Jesus says, come to me. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever burden it is that you're carrying, come to Jesus, run to Jesus. There are people that have said to me sometimes, and my wife and I, we've, we've kind of talked about this. There are people that will sometimes say to us, even friends of ours, oh, it must be nice, the life we have. It must be nice. I'm sorry. Do you know the tears that I've cried? Do you know the prayers that I've prayed? Do you know that there wasn't a church service that I wasn't an hour early to because I was praying and believing God for breakthrough in my life? You don't know where I've come from. You don't know where I've been through. But guess what? My God, you will know, and he's gonna bring you through it. He's gonna lift your burdens. Today is the day that I wanna teach you to take off that stupid backpack and give it to the Lord and walk out as a follower and disciple of Christ. Can I get an amen? I've got a Christmas present for you this morning. I couldn't get the big one. It was way too much money. These things are expensive. This is the mini one. For the little mini people here, I mean, I can do this to myself. Jesus says to the crowd, not only come to me all that are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, but he says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus burdens us with another burden. Oh gosh, pastor, what are you getting at? I don't want another burden. I, I came to church to be free. This thing's gonna fall down. Pastor Zach, get the pictures in quick. <laughs> I can pose like no one's business. <laughs> it's almost like a nice mustache. I don't think I want to smell this too much. There are certain things that in order to be equally yoked with Christ that we need to assume for ourselves. The first one I've already gotten into, but I'll be very clear about this, is we need to learn to dump our burdens. See, we like to dump on people, don't we? Doesn't that feel nice when you're going through a hard time and you're dealing with things that you get to spew your venom to someone else? And it's nice to have friends, and we should have wise friends and counselors. But sometimes, even after talking to wise friends and praying with good people, I still feel the backpack. That's why the hymn writer says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs 
he bears. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And he says this too, oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. There is something that happens in our life when we open up the backpack of problems and cares, of burdens, trials, and tribulations, of sin, and even attacks of the enemy, and we lay that all down at the feet of Jesus. Man, that's why I come to church. That's why I worship. That is why I pray. That is why I'm at encounter evenings and life groups. That's why I can't get enough of this thing called church. That is why I can't get enough of you, because when I get to lay my burdens down at the feet of Jesus, something changes. Something changes within us. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 gives us a little secret into this. Peter says to the church, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your cares on him, because he cares about you. I'm going to take a little break right there on that one. Cast all your cares on him. And in other translations, it says, because he loves you and he cares for you. Maybe you've never realized this, but the cross of Jesus is a place of divine exchange. Have any one of you ever been to a pawn shop? Come on, be honest. It's not illegal. A pawn shop is a legal business. The people that work there, that's another question. <laughs> but it's a place where you take the goods that you have and exchange them in for money, and then later if you want them, you can buy them back. There are many a believer and a person who treats what Jesus has done as if it's a pawn shop. We go to Jesus with our burdens and our problems. We cash them in at the foot of the cross. And guess what? We come back later and we try to buy them back again. It is not only a place of giving our burdens and our sins, but the cross is a place to receive. See, when you're in the presence of God, do you know that you're supposed to receive from him? Many people love to repent. Oh, Jesus, I'm an awful person. I've done horrible things. I can't get my life together. And they're like the little engine that couldn't. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I know I can. 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 And do you know churches love this? They capitalize off of it. Christian writers write books. Why? Because they appeal to the part of you that is pitiful. We live in a generation that capitalizes off of vulnerability and pity. The, the more pitiful you become, the more we love you. And then at the moment that we don't like you anymore, we tear you back down to the ground. No, 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 no. And the economy of Jesus, he lifts you up. And the economy of Jesus, guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't pity you. He has grace and mercy and sympathy. So he sees you where you're at. Then he transforms you and brings you to the place that he has for you. That's my kind of friend. 
That's the kind of person that I want to be around, is the person that sees me through the eyes of Christ, the person that believes not only I think I can, no, I know I can, I will, I shall overcome, I shall move forward, I shall not be moved. See, we need to receive the love and care of the Lord. We don't just run to Jesus like the pawn shop, throw our items on the table and run out the door. No, it is a life of living with Jesus. It is receiving his love and his care for you. When's the last time that you asked the Lord, let me, re- let me feel your love? Lord, show me that you care for me. Show me your care. I don't know about you. I pray these kind of prayers all the time. I'm, I am the Veruca salt of Christianity, if you know Willy Wonka. I say it all the time, like, I want it all cream buns and donuts, so good you could go nuts, give it to me now. When I am in the presence of the Lord, I want it all. I want his love, I want his care, I want his blessing, and in order for the church to be the church, we've got to start believing in a God of blessing. We've got to start believing in a God who loves us. We've got to start believing in a God who cares for me way more than anyone else cares for me. Come on. I recently spoke with one of our missionaries. They were kind of burdened down. Their children, they're having problems getting them into an international school because they have to pay all of the money up front. I mean, three years of tuition ahead of time. It's a lot of money. And they were burdened, and they were trying to justify the expense to me. I said, you don't have to justify the expense. I said, you and your wife and your children, you have already paid the price but I want you to understand something. I said, and I am speaking to you from experience. God the Father loves and cares for your kids more than you do. As parents that are here, can we let that one, can we let that one creep in? There are parents that get very helicoptery. There are parents that get very possessive and obsessive. Don't. The Lord's got your family. The Lord's got your children. The Lord's got your job. He's got your marriage. He's got his hand mixed into all that we are. Peter says, be sober-minded and be alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. See, when you're going through it, the devil gets you isolated. He makes you think you're the only one who's ever been through this. I say all the time as a pastor, if we all just wrote a book. Come on. There are people that come into the services here and they just think a lot of you are just all perfect people. Oh, they don't know the muck and the mire that Jesus pulled you from. They don't know the sin that you used to be in. We had a woman in our church overseas. She looked like little Miss Church Mouse. She said to me, Pastor, I came to Jesus because I was a single woman and I was having affairs with married men and I looked so nice, no one ever knew it. But God knew it. And Jesus, he saved me, he delivered me, he forgave me, and he gave me a new hope. Don't look at the cover of the book sometimes. 
Deep within the chapters is a story of grace and forgiveness. In verse 10, Peter goes on to say, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered just a little while. Can We, we like the verse about the devil prowling around, huh? We like that one. Things Pentecostal charismatics like. Come on, I can write a book about this stuff. Oh, the devil, he's prowling around. He's always out to get me, that no good little serpent. But let's look at what God does. The devil, he just prowls. He's an intimidator. But the God of the Bible, Peter says, he restores, he establishes, he strengthens, and he supports you in the midst of your troubles and in the midst of your trials. See, we need to learn to walk in victory. We need to learn to walk in confidence. We need to walk in obedience. When the burdens try to burden us, when the devil tries to remind us of things, we need to remind him of who our God is. Like the joy killers in our life, just walk on by, just walk on by, just walk on by. See, above all, Do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. But by sitting still, the more one sits still, the closer one comes to feeling ill. Thus, if one just keeps on walking, everything will be all right. Recently this week, I had placed a call to our dear elders, Gordon and Janet Curry. They were having somewhat of a rough few weeks, not feeling too well. I just wanted to check on my buddies. They also are my closest neighbors as church people. I promised their daughter, Julie, I'd look after them a little bit, you know? They look after me, I look after them. Hey, I'm Italian, you know, we all got to look after each other. And as we finished our conversation with one another, as they were rebounding from this and pressing forward, I said to them, guys, like they say out in the Midwest, just keep on trucking. Just keep on trucking. Keep moving. When there are people that say, Pastor, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I don't know how to solve this, you can open your mouth and pray. You can worship. You can begin to open the word of God and see what does the Bible say to me. You can gather godly men and women around you and you can begin to believe God that your best day is breaking on the horizon. You are no longer a victim of your past. You are a child of God and your future not only looks bright, it looks awesome. The next thing that you can do in order to be equally yoked with Christ is to devote yourself completely. See, in order to be yoked properly in the time of Jesus, two oxen needed to be hooked up to one of these things. The ox was a beast of burden. One of them was always stronger than the other. In order to train a new ox, an older, more established, beefier, stronger ox needed to lead the way. Jesus says, devote yourself to me. 
Don't just throw your burdens at my feet and walk away. Don't just come to me when you want the forgiveness of sin. Jesus is calling us to a life of service with him. Jesus is calling us to a life that is led by the power of the Spirit. Jesus is calling us to a life that is rooted in the Word of God. See, you can't be a believer without the Holy Spirit. You can't be a believer without the Word of God. There are many Christians, and they'll say to me, Oh, Pastor, I've been saved for X amount of decades. And I just say to them all the time, Like, and? And? Like, it's one thing when you're walking in power and anointing, but it's another thing when you're a gossip after 30 years of being in the church. It's another thing when you're bitter in Jesus after 30 years of knowing him. See, the more you know him, the more you should grow in joy. The more you know him, the more you should grow in peace. The more you know him, the more you should grow in righteousness. When you are yoked with Jesus, yes, you assume a new burden but he's the one that's really bearing the load. He's the one that's giving you the head start, the upper hand, the strength that you need. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. See, the church in Ephesus felt like the world around them was creeping in. They felt like society was getting the best of them. And so the church in Ephesus began to yoke themselves with the burdens of the prosecutions, the trials, and the temptations they were experiencing. But that's why Paul in the book of Ephesians starts the book off by saying, you're not just living in Ephesus looking at a bunch of temples and statues to foreign gods and Caesar. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places above rulers and authorities, principalities and powers. And he says to them in that very text, he says, you are imitators of God you are his children. As I've said, we are walking around with an identity crisis. The church is walking around with an identity crisis. I need you as a church, as believers, to tell yourself daily, if you need to, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. As a 14-year-old boy, my lovely Auntie Marge bought me a Bible for my birthday, a big, nice, black NIV study Bible, and printed right on that cover in that fake gold leafing, it says, Eric Capelli, I am a child of the king. See, when you know who your daddy is, when you know who your father is, when you know the business that he owns and you know the resources that he has, guess what? You walk differently. You talk differently. You act differently. And when you begin to realize that you are a child of God, it breaks every yoke of the enemy. It breaks every negative thought of the devil. And it aligns you with the work of God for for your life. You are a child of the king. Let no one tell you any differently. 
See, the Bible is very easy to understand. We as Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute that we understand, we are obligated or obliged to act accordingly. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We're swooning on Sunday, sitting on Monday morning already. When the going gets tough with your boss, when the family situations mount around you, when financial pressure starts to get on your shoulders, when the enemy starts attacking you, when you feel like all it is doing is raining on your parade, those are the moments where you are obliged to be yoked with Christ. Those are the moments when you need to realize you are a child of God. It's not just swooning on Sunday. It's not just feeling goosebumps when the Spirit of God is upon you. It is a deep down faith and knowledge. It is gumption. It is grit. It is determination that you know that you know that you know you are a child of God. The last thing that we need in this, and we'll take communion to close it off, is we need in this upcoming year to be deputized for duty. I've mentioned it before. Remember the sermon? Sergeant Capelli reporting for duty, Captain Jesus. You remember that one? Well, this morning, I want you to remember it all over again. God has a plan and a purpose, and that's said to people when they get saved. Jesus loves you, and he's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and many believers sit in churches feeling unfulfilled. But guess who's responsible for that? You. My pastor didn't take me up and put me in Bible school. My pastor didn't stick me on a plane to the Netherlands. He didn't hold my hand. He didn't come and teach me Dutch every morning at the bedside. My pastor didn't move me back. I love him. He's very nice to me still. People in my life didn't do that for me. See, when you are deputized for duty, you take responsibility for your own actions. You begin to take accountability for your own spiritual life. You stop pointing the fingers and you point at yourself. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are fellow workers you are God's field. You are God's building. Yes, it is also good to know not only your, I would say, your dynamic role as a child of God, but do you know that you have an economic role, a practical role in the kingdom of God, a functional role? Do you know that God is trying to build his kingdom through you? Do you know that God wants to expand his church through you? Do you know he wants to touch your friends and family and the people that you work with? Do you know that God wants to touch your neighborhood and he wants to use you? Oh, well, pastor, I've been to evangelism classes and well, like, I just don't get it. I get nervous. Knock it off. For some believers, I want to shake them 
And not that classes are not important, but I want to say to them, how many more classes do you need to go to? Come on. Get up. Step out in faith. Believe the Lord. He's going to perfect it. As you walked in power and in anointing, do you think that a surgeon's first surgery is seamless? Come on. We walk into hospitals and we give ourselves over to doctors and we're like, here. I just lay my body down on the table. I've been operated on a total of 11 times for major surgeries. I just laid down on that table. I didn't know what idiot was sticking a scalpel into me. Come on. I'm serious. I had a renowned doctor in the Netherlands. He was a great guy. He said to me, hey, you're gonna go in for surgery, just so you know, because you've been through many ear operations, I know you get it. He said, but when the operation is over, if you don't see me and you don't hear anything from the nurse, that means you can go home and the operation was successful. I kept saying to my wife, it just feels off. It feels off after the surgery. And I went in, I met with another specialist, and it was probably three weeks after the surgery that I went back to him. And the doctor looked at me, and he said, well, it would be perfectly normal that you can't hear anything because we couldn't operate any further. He said, they didn't tell you? I said, no, no one said anything to me. He said, oh, I am so sorry. That was not the agreement. We just throw our bodies on operating tables. Can't we just throw our body down at the foot of the cross? Can we learn to just trust in Jesus? We trust all kinds of other people, and then we get upset with them when they don't live up to their plan. Jesus never disappoints. God always comes through on his promise. If he said it, he will do it, but he's asking you to be devoted to the work of his kingdom. Charles Spurgeon said the following. I love this quote. Stay with me on this one. He said, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up, nay, you have to cut every step up with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. This year, Bethel, I promise you, I am going to move you and shake you. You might not know the difference between the Holy Spirit and Eric Capelli, but let me tell you, he's going to work through both of us. I'm serious. The other pastors and the leaders of this church are going to work through us. We are going to shape up and we're going to ship out in a good way because we are going to be empowered to live the life that God wants us to live. We are going to do the things that Jesus said we would do. We are going to deputize you for duty this year. Why? Because we, as a Pentecostal people, we believe in what's called the anointing. The Holy Spirit, that when his presence touches you, guess what? You do things you couldn't do before. That's why David prays in the Old Testament. And he says, Lord, with your strength, I can run through an army and I can leap over a wall. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. In closing this morning, and if the people that are serving communion could already come as we get it ready, 
the only man who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistantly lets his yoke rest upon him, finds his burden easy, and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, utterly hard, for those who try to resist it. But for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. There are those that are fighting today. And I know you're fighting. Yeah, I'm not going to be blind. I know many of you have been fighting, fighting through the issues of the pandemic, fighting through the racial issues, fighting through financial issues, fighting through health concerns. You have been fighting and fighting and fighting, and the burden feels very strong. But this morning, as we celebrate communion together, Jesus is inviting each and every one of us to be yoked with him, to be yoked with him, to surrender. Do you know surrender is hard? And one of the first words of my famous uh, uh, Christian artists that I like, they, they say the word surrender doesn't come naturally to me. I'd rather fight for something I really want than take what you're giving me. We need to be willing to accept what Jesus is giving us this morning. The call that he's asking us to fulfill, the, the steps of faith and obedience that he's asking us to walk in. This morning, I need you to do a divine exchange during communion. See, Jesus bled. He was whipped and beaten and bruised and crowned with thorns. He was nailed. It was a bloody, bloody scene. But it is only through that blood of Jesus that you can be forgiven of sin, healed in your body and set free from the power of the enemy. It is only through the blood of Jesus that you have not only hope for today and strength for tomorrow, but you have eternal life in Jesus. This morning as you eat also of the body of Christ, the bread that's here in your hand, it's representative of a body that was broken. Do you know that Jesus struggled with the will of God? Do you know that if you don't struggle, that's, that means something's wrong? If you are a living, breathing human being, you are going to struggle with the will of God. Why? Because your will and God's will are gonna collide with one another. I don't care how young or how old you are, there are things in your life that might be colliding with the will of God right now. And Jesus knows that pressure. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, and I hate it when Christians paint this picture of serenity. I saw paintings as a child. You see Jesus knelt by a rock in a garden with a glow on his face. No, the Bible says he was stressed out. He was sweating drops of blood. That doesn't look really nice. Have you ever been in those moments with the Lord? that in order to do his will, it wrenched your gut? That is why I say to believers, the Lord does not always move and I feel a peace. Jesus did not feel a peace about going to the cross. 
That's why he prayed three times, Father, may this cup pass from me. The yoke feels really heavy, Daddy. The yoke feels really heavy right now. Can you help me? The yoke feels really heavy. But Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours. This morning as we take of communion, it's not about us. It's about him. It is about being willing to go anywhere and do anything because he spilled his precious blood for you. It is about being willing to heal and restore anything because his body was broken for you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this cup represents the new covenant. This is my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus gave thanks and they all drank. On that same night, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. We, we sit here with little individualized pieces. Sometimes I don't like these little pieces. Yeah? They broke from the same bread like one family. And when they broke that beautiful piece of warm bread and they put it in their mouth, Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Not for some stranger, not for someone next to you, for you. See, the Israelites had been in God for thousands of years. They were actually worse than people who have been saved for 100 years. We've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Jesus says, no, 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 this is a brand new thing. My body is being broken for you. I, God, have become like one of you, and I am willfully and purposefully taking on this yoke because I love you. If you have difficulty calling yourself a child of God, guess what you are doing? You are putting this in your mouth and you're spitting it back out again. Come on. When you believe the lies of the enemy, you are putting this in your mouth and you're spitting it back out again. Jesus was broken so that you could be made whole. Jesus was broken so that you could walk in victory. Jesus was broken so that you could be healed. Let's give thanks today. If we could stand with one another. I know the ushers are still passing out the communion elements. If you're watching online and you have anything that represents these things, whether it be grape juice, whatever kind of bread you have and you wanna take it with us, let's have that moment. I'm gonna pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us and your body that was broken. Today, you invite us as a church to be equally yoked with Christ. Lord, I thank you that in that invitation, you give us all that we need in order to do that. Lord, I thank you that we're able to dump our burdens at your feet. I thank you that your precious blood not only forgives us of our sin, but it empowers us to live a godly life. Lord, I thank you that because you were willing to do the will of the Father through your broken body, we in turn, we devote ourselves to you. And lastly, Jesus, like you said, not my will be done, but your will be done. As we eat and drink today in a spirit of thanksgiving, 
ask the Lord, Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done in my life, whatever that looks like, whatever decision I have to make today, that's a rough and hard decision to live for you. Give me the strength and the power to do it. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's drink together. Let's eat together. We have not come to a funeral today. We've come to an eternal celebration of life. Let's lift our hands this morning. We left this place with blessing. We're going home with blessing. One of my favorite movies in the 80s as a child was um, Adventures in Babysitting. They get stuck in a blues club and then they say to them, no one leaves this place without singing the blues. No one leaves this church without being blessed. Yeah? In Holland, we have a very common practice at the end of every church service that the congregation lifts their hands to receive a blessing. This morning, I'm gonna bless you. Pastor Noah's gonna sing. The life group tables are gonna be available in the back with the leaders. We need some helpers. Pastor Maria is gonna be in the foyer. We need people to help us take down the Christmas decorations. So anyone who can spare 10 to 15 minutes, see Pastor Maria after service, we need your help. Lift those hands up, we're not done here. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you are a father who blesses. We thank you that you are desiring in this upcoming year to see us yoked more with Jesus in our lives than ever before. And so this morning, church, I pray that the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forevermore until Jesus returns. And the church said, Amen. Let's give Jesus a round of applause this morning. <laughs> Pastor Noah is going to lead us in one last song of worship, so get your little dancing shoes on. See the life group tables and the people that can help us. See Pastor Maria. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday at 630.